بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Some new faces today, mashallah. How many are new to this experience? Just so, so we know the... Okay, a couple of people, mashallah. Okay, welcome to this uh, gathering. Um, what we're going to do is just go with the flow, the flow that we're continuing with. But if you feel lost, it's okay. Um, we have the recordings in our podcast. Uh, you can always refer to the group if you want to listen to the previous ones. But what we're doing is really, we started with, with surah. Who can remind us? What did we start with? Actually, yeah, we started with Fatiha, right? And then we were basically going with the order of the Qur'an. Now, one question no one asked me was, why didn't we start with like the shorter surahs? Why are we going in this order? Why do you think, what, what are the benefits of, you know, doing this versus some other approach? Because another approach is to start with the shorter surahs, start with like Surah An-Nas and then work your way backwards, right? Because... Logically speaking, those are the surahs that you are reciting in your salah, right? So you want to know the surahs that you recite more, more commonly in your salah. Um, so one explanation of that is because I've already done the last jizah. I've already taught that. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's recorded. It's on YouTube. It's on the podcast. So you can refer to it. It's called Quran Nights. It was done throughout Ramadan, alhamdulillah, a couple of years ago. Uh, so that's one reason that I'm not doing it again because I've already done it. Number two, um, I'm enjoying this because I've never taught Baqara before. So it's fresh research where I'm enjoying and inshallah you guys will enjoy also. And the third reason is because you'll find a lot of content already out there for Jaza'amma. But very little content out there for Baqara. Okay? For some reason, just psychologically, we should it's easier to start with the sh short surahs. And so you have a lot of content out there. If you just Google it or YouTube, uh, search it, you'll find a lot of stuff out there. But for Baqarah, there's not really much out there. So I thought, let's do justice to it. Uh, third reason is, that's how Allah's curriculum flows. So why do we break it and, and try to make up our own curriculum? right? Another suggestion by a couple of friends was, why don't you go in the order of revelation? So you know, what was the first surah that was revealed? Iqra, yeah, Surah Al-Alaq, right? So one manhaj or one curriculum that many uh, Qur'an teachers follow is going according to the chronological order of the revelation of the Qur'an. Okay? Now why didn't I follow that? Primarily because we don't have a fixed kind of uh, reference of what exactly was the chronological order. That, that order is not, yeah, بين العلماء on what are, the, what are the exact orders of the surahs. Every, like, every scholar has their, his own opinion of what the order was. Yes, Surah Al-Alaq unanimously is the first surah, right? But then what's the next surah? Is it Muzammal? Is it Mudathar? There's a lot of differences of opinion, right? So again, Allah chose the Qur'an's flow to be this way. He chose Fatiha to be surah number one. He chose Baqarah to be surah number two. And as we've previously explained that the Qur'an is connected, right? Every surah is connected to the one after it like a beautiful pearl necklace, right? And so... I thought it's more beneficial to go with the flow of the Qur'an just so that we learn how Allah teaches us, right? What Allah makes a priority, let's, let's go with that as a flow, okay? Instead of trying to, you know, figure out our own curriculums. And lastly, you know, the, the final surahs of the Qur'an are more... What's the common theme between the final surahs of the Qur'an? Uh, 
Yeah, it's, it's a lot of like Nar and Qiyamah and Jahannam, right? And so, because these are, and there is some wisdom behind that, right? But if all we do all our life is study those Jaz'amma, guess what? Psychologically or, or subconsciously, what are you going to start thinking about this religion? That all it's about is Qiyamah and the Day of Judgment and how, you know, disbelievers are going to be burning in hell. And that's all you basically study, that's all you recite in Salah. And so therefore, are you doing justice to the Qur'an? No, because yes, we do have ayats that talk about that stuff. But then there's a hundred and, you know, hundred plus surahs that talk about other beautiful things, right? Which get kind of disregarded when we ignore the other just of the Qur'an. So, yeah. Yes. And yeah. it's the wrong way to approach Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, ready, inshallah? So, we're at ayah number two. Uh, so, or actually, ayah number two we covered last week, right? We're uh, at ayah number three today. So, na'udhu billahi min ashtar rajim, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alif la mim, thalika al-kitabu la rayba fih, hudan lil-muttaqeen. We talked about kitab extensively. We talked about rayb, this idea of doubt. We talked about guidance and the difference between the two, so we won't get into that. But then, what we will get into today is, what, who are the muttaqeen and what are their descriptions? Okay? Because Allah mentioned clearly here that th- this book, the Qur'an, i.e. the Qur'an, is going to be guidance specifically for who? Those who are muttaqeen. Now, who can just share with us what's like a simple definition of muttaqeen? Yes, that's one of their qualities, but yes. But what's like their general kind of description? Okay, taqwa, like we said last time, is people who are protective. People who are cautious. People who want to save themselves and they want to protect themselves from harm. Okay? But that is the general quality of al-muttaqeen. Okay? People who are careful. Opposite of muttaqeen, someone who is careless. Someone who doesn't care about consequences. Someone who does whatever they want without fearing the consequences of their action, right? So muttaqeen are people who have a sense of responsibility. They are cautious in every step they take throughout their life. They think before they act. They think about the consequences. They don't just follow blindly, right? So that's the attitude of those who really benefit from Allah's guidance, right? But then Allah Himself will now explain to us who are the muttaqeen. Which is really cool, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in ayah number three, He says, Number one, So that's their first quality. Number two, And number three, And then ayah number four, He says, He continues, That's point number what now? Four. That's point number five. And then point number six is, وَبِالْآخِرَتِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ So there are six qualities of al-muttaqeen. And then what does Allah say conclusively about these muttaqeen? He says, أُولَٰئِكَ i.e. these people who have these six qualities, أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَىٰ هُدًا مِّن رَبِّهِمْ Those are those who are truly guided. وَأُولَٰئِكَ And these are definitely the ones who will attain true success. أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ What does مُفْلِحُونَ mean? Those who attain falah. Falah is one of the words of winning or victory in the Qur'an. And there's other words like fawz also in Arabic, which means also victory. But muflihun, 
highlights patience, because you know, from Fallah, right? A farmer is someone who uh, works, works hard, he has patience with the fruits of his labor, right? And he takes care of his crops, right? Just like the muttaqi. Does Fallah have to be a muttaqi in order for his crops to grow? Yes or no? Absolutely, yes. Because what, what does, technically we don't have any experience, any, any fallahin here, any farmers in, in the Medis? No, so that's why we're not very aware of or familiar with what they do. But a farmer's job is, requires a lot of taqwa. He has to be very protective of his crops. Just to make, make sure that the soil is perfect. He has to make sure that the plants are getting enough sunlight. He has to make sure that the plants are being taken care of in terms of the oxygen and he has to follow up every other day. He has to make sure nothing is harming his crops, right? So you have to take care, taqwa, right, of his crops. Otherwise, what's going to happen to his crops? What's going to happen? Yeah, they die, right? And farmers don't get paid a monthly salary. They get paid at harvest season, right? Which is usually once a year, twice a year. And so they require a lot of patience also, right, in order to, to succeed. So that's really the attitude and the mindset of a believer. He has, it's between taqwa and seeking success. All of us want success. How many of you want success? How, how many of you want to be successful? Right? So here Allah is highlighting, some of you are not raising your hand, so I don't know what's the deal with that. Opposite of success is failure, yes? Uh, I don't know, let's go with... Or if, you, if, you're, if only you're feeling cold, then maybe you could change your seat. You're good? Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. Or you can keep rotating. Every two minutes, just rotate so everyone gets a share of the AC. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what were we talking about? Something to do with success, right? Yeah. So, success. This is the. So, what kind of success is Allah talking about here, by the way? Very good. So, dunya and akhirah, right? Because another shallow perspective of this concept of falah is that this is only talking about the muttaqeen and success this is just about akhirah but what we yani, need to look at the Quran from a different perspective now we need to look at the Quran that it is guidance therefore it's going to help me in this life as well as the next life right so win-win situation that's the mindset of a believer okay it's not about losing in this world and winning in the akhirah no it's about a win-win situation Okay. Win in dunya, win in akhirah. Make sense? Yes? So I don't know honestly how far we're going to reach. My aim is to finish the first three qualities today. And hopefully we can do the next three next time, inshallah. But inshallah, make dua that we can finish all three, right? By the way, why are we going so slow? You guys get annoyed a bit sometimes? Why are we going slow? No? Okay. So why are we going slow? Because the slower we go, the more we appreciate Allah's wisdom. And the more we appreciate these words... Like, think of it this way. This is a curriculum for life that Allah has set for us, right? And so by rushing through it, you know, we're not really going to benefit from the pearls. Remember like the example we gave of the diver who dives deep into the ocean? Only the scuba divers appreciate the depth of the sea. Similarly, those who dive deep into the meanings of the words and reflect and ponder. And you know what tadabbur actually means? Tadabbur? Yeah, so like deep thought. And tadabbur comes from dubur, actually. Your behind is actually called your dubur, right? But 
what, what, why did Allah link your behind to tadabbur? It's because tadabbur is like you're reading an ayah, you're reading ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ and you stop and you go back. Wait a second, why did Allah say kitab? Why didn't He say Qur'an here? Wait a second, why did Allah say raib? Why didn't He say shak here? You see? So you go back. That's why tadabbur means... Tadabbur doesn't mean just you're, you're rushing for the next ayah or the next page or the next surah. No, tadabbur means you go back. You, you go back and you think and you stop and you question. Why did Allah speak like that? Like for example, there's some thoughts that come to my mind. Why did Allah say, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ here, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ here, but for akhirah He said يُقِنُونَ which is a higher level of conviction. Right? You have iman here, but then you have yaqeen, which is certainty. Now, so that's, it's, it sparks this question in your mind, right? It makes you think. And um, why did Allah say, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ Then He said, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ Right? Why did He say, وَالَّذِينَ again? Why did He just keep on saying, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ وَيُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنْزَلَ Why didn't He just keep saying, wa 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 between all six? Why did He split these three? And then added a walladheen again and added another three qualities. Why? Right? So these are all valid questions that a mutadabbar asks. And hopefully all of you have those qualities of a mutadabbar, by the way. Right? You don't need uh, like an advanced degree in sharia or Quran to be a mutadabbar. No. You just need to have a curious mind. And a willingness to be guided. And a willingness to be protective. Okay? And to seek success. Any questions so far? Okay, so let's let's get into the first quality. Now, it's a bit strange, right? Because what would you have assumed the first quality of al-muttaqin to be? Maybe khawf min Allah, or at least belief in Allah, maybe, right? Allah didn't even mention Allah here. He just mentioned al-ladina yu'minuna bil Those who believe and we'll talk about each one separately, right? Those who believe in the ghayb. And we'll define ghayb, inshallah. Okay? So first, let's talk about this word yu'minun. It's the first time it's coming up, by the way. Yes? It's coming up for the first time, so we need to stop and define it. Yu'minun comes from the root word amn. Or amina. Which literally means what? Safety. Yeah. So there's this element of safety. Now often it's translated as what? Those who... Sorry, it's it's going to unseen first. Okay, let's talk, let's define bil ghayb then. Unseen. Wait a second. Okay, so iman talks about belief in Allah usually, right? It's usually translated as what belief. Those who believe in the unseen. But is that a, is that a like? An accurate translation of this word? No, because where is the element of peace and security, right? So how would we define it in a more deeper way? Iman is that feeling, is that belief in your heart that leads to a sense of peace and security. Okay? A belief that leads to a sense or a feeling of security and, and peace. Now, you ask any teenager or any Muslim in the world, do you believe in Allah, what are they going to say? They say it with the mind, right? They say it with the mind. So it's like a true or, true or false question. Do you believe in Allah? Yes. Correct? 
What are they answering from? They're answering from their mind. Are they answering from their feelings? No. So where, where, what is Allah more concerned about? Is He concerned more about the mind or about feelings? Feelings, right? So how many Muslims today feel safe with their belief in Allah? How many Muslims today go to sleep at peace because they believe in Allah? How many Muslims today in the world go through the roller coasters of life with this iman in their heart that gives them the peace to be able to deal with the ups and downs of life? You see the difference? Yes? So iman is not just a checklist. Yes, I believe in Allah. I believe in the last day. I believe in the Quran. I'm a Muslim. There's much, much more depth in it, right? And, and the feelings and the emotions are much, much, much more important than the knowledge itself. And this is something that, you know, unfortunately, we don't really teach much, nor to ourselves, nor to our kids, right? And so that's why the Arabic language is so beautiful. It's because when you break it down into the root words, you get more depth. True iman is what leads to feelings of peace, feelings of security, amn, amina, okay? الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ So let's talk about ghayb. So one meaning of al-ghayb is the unseen. عَالِمْ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ Allah says. So there is ghayb, the unseen, and shahada is the seen. That's why a shahid is someone who's a witness, right? وَشَاهِدٍ وَمَشْهُودٍ So you have the seen and the unseen. Al-ghayb is the unseen. So why is Allah talking about the unseen? Why is this the first quality of the muttaqeen? Let's go a bit deeper. So like, like we said, first of all, this is not yet talking about Allah. It's talking about belief in the unseen, which is, is Allah part of Al-Ghayb, by the way? Yes, Allah is part of Al-Ghayb, but Al-Ghayb is broader in its meaning, right? So let's talk about it from the perspective of science, because a lot of people today, they have this uh, mindset that, you know what, I'll believe in this book if it fits with science, right? And science... Does science believe in the unseen? No, it's all about, well, I have a theory and I have a, a hypothesis and I'll, I'll do some experiments, I'll do some sampling and then I'll reach a conclusion and I'll prove it with facts or whatever, right? Yes? And so science does not believe in the unseen. And so what, what happens to the mindset of the believer right from the beginning of the Quran? Allah is telling us that is science superior to the Quran? No. Our attitude should be that Allah's words and the, this guidance is far more superior to science. And therefore, if you want science to be more superior, then don't waste your time reading forward. Because this book will only guide the muttaqeen, and the muttaqeen, their first quality is they have to have believe in the unseen. And since science does not believe in the unseen, then sorry, science won't really help you much. Okay? Science is limited. And theories keep changing, by the way. I don't know if, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but do they still teach theory of evolution in, in school today? No? They, they've stopped teaching it? Okay. Right. And they still, of course, teach that the earth is a sphere, right? Or round? Okay. So that will probably change in the next 10, 15 years. Right. Um, the other point here is this age that we live in, the age of materialism, where... We are obsessed with things that can be seen by others, right? 
what is seen by others is what we focus on because we constantly want to, we want to be appreciated by others. We want to be noticed by others. We want others to respect us uh, based on what we have in terms of material things. My car, my house, my family, my bag, my abaya, my shoes, my, um, my suit, whatever, right? So you're obsessed with the outer, external, seen element. And what's not seen, by the way? Yeah, so the heart's not seen, right? Nobody here knows the taqwa level of the other. Nobody knows the iman level of the other. Uh, what else is not seen in us? The soul, the ruh is not seen, the nafs is not seen, right? Um, and so, do you agree that we live in a world where there's an obsession with materialism, right? And this, you know, your external looks. I'm not saying you should look like nasty and ugly, no. Of course, in Allah Jamilun Yhibbul Jamal. Allah loves beauty and it's okay to be uh, you know uh, careful of your external appearances, but not at the expense of al ghaib. Right? Allah's highlighting this idea of ghaib being a more dominant quality here. So and by the way, just an interesting point. There we go, we, we reached the Iman uh, definitions, a bit mix up on the order here. By the way, one more definition of iman, something that you can trust. Because amana, what is an amana, by the way? It's, a, it's actually a secret or a trust. You entrust someone with this amana. And so that's where iman comes from, right? Iman bil ghayb is that you trust the ghayb. Iman in Allah means you trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And we'll talk about it, inshallah, deeper later on when you talk about the angels and other elements of the unseen. And so, for materialism, by the way, this, by the way, is like a a portrayal of the... You guys heard of the concept of the Masih al-Dajjal? Yes? Okay. So, um, we're not going to get into the details of this. I know some of you like uh, conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But just for the sake of... um, the context of what we're talking about is the Dajjal in the, in the famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is known to have his left or sorry his right eye disfigured. Okay, so he can only see with what? With his left eye. And so the left eye literally represents the uh, seen world, the material world. That's all Dajjal sees with. What eye does he not see with? The right eye, which is the eye of the ghayb. Right? The eye of the unseen, the eye of, uh, or the spiritual dimension of things. So you have the physical dimension of everything, and then you have the spiritual dimension. So this concept of the fitna of the Dajjal, you can maybe look at it as this, you know, the times we live in where everyone's just obsessed with the left eye. They're looking at the world from the left eye perspective. They're looking at the world from the physical perspective. And nobody's concerned, or most people are not concerned about the ruh, they're not concerned about spirituality, they're not concerned about elements of the unseen, which includes the heart and the, the soul itself. So just an interesting perspective. And how many eyes did Allah give us, by the way? Two. Why? Very good. To, to, be, to see with both. So we are balanced people, right? Allah, get, Allah doesn't want us to just see with the right eye either, right? That's the other extreme. Where, you know, you just go live in a mountain and meditate for 24-7 and that's all you do. And you, like, divorce life. No. We are... Allah has blessed us with both eyes so we can see the, um, the beauty in everything physically and spiritually. Right? 
And so that's why Allah tells us to reflect on His creation, by the way. That's why He tells us to reflect on the sun and the moon and the stars and the, and the, you know, the birds when they fly. Why? Because, yes, it's a wonderful physical experience, right? But at the same time, it has a, what, spiritual dimension to it also. Yes? And so a believer, like literally you going out, just looking at this, this, you know, the sea or going in the park and looking at the different colors of flowers, that's supposed to increase your iman, actually. Because it's supposed to be an ex- experience where you appreciate Allah's beauty and it makes both your physical uh, you know, senses appreciate what you're seeing as well as your spiritual senses. When you, when you look at Allah's uh, creation and you look at how beautiful Allah's creation is. Okay? So that's the balance a believer has. The other thing is those who believe and are or feel safe with the unseen in terms of the harms out there. Are there unseen harms around us, by the way? Unseen threats, un- unseen evil? Yes, absolutely, right? And so, that's, the, again, the attitude of a muttaqi. He's protective, why? Because he knows that there are elements out there that may harm him. Therefore, I have to be equipped. I have to be shielded in order not to be harmed, right? And so most of these elements, yes, there are seen elements out there that can harm us, but are there also unseen elements that can harm us? Can you, can you share with me some examples of unseen? Okay, shaitan. Al-ayn, hasad, okay. Right? Your own thoughts, very good. What else? I'm looking for something else also. When Allah says, الَّذِي وَسْوِسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ so, yeah, actually, jinnah is different than jinn, by the way. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. But jinnah is not just limited to jinn, it's literally all sorts of unseen, because jinn are unseen, right? So, jinnah are unseen harms or threats that can cause you harm, right? But there's people also. Can people cause us harm also? Yes, yeah, so that's another element of ghayb. There's people who maybe have, you know, I don't know, evil intentions or they're plotting to harm you. And so, you believe that there are external threats out there, and therefore... Now, this doesn't mean you become paranoid, right? Because that's another form of phobia then, when you are afraid to walk out of the house. No, you walk out with iman, you are at peace, you feel safe. Why? Because, you know, you, you have Allah on your side to protect you. You see? And uh, you are careful, and we'll talk about salah later on, right? And its benefits. But the next point after, is what? So I'm just giving you a hint. Why, why do they establish their salah? Because they want to be protected. Um, another example of this is uh, people who like read their awrad or their adhkar, sabahul masa, right? These are uh, very important protections from evils around us. Like the, the supplications of the morning, the supplications of the evening. And I've shared like an app with you. How many of you have benefited from the app that I shared in the group? Okay. At least someone is benefiting, but it didn't open. Okay, so inshallah, just search for it. It's called Auradi. Uh, it's a great, great resource uh, where, but you, you know, you're not going to use it if you don't have this fear of the unseen. If you have fear of the unseen, you're going to read that stuff every day. Why? Because you are certain that there's things out there that are going to harm you, and therefore, you will be equipped with that shield, right? Just like you wear your seatbelt. Why do you wear your seatbelt every day? Hopefully you do. 
Why? Because you're certain there are crazy people out there, right? You're certain that there's, there's cameras out there. You're certain that there's potential threat to your safety. And therefore, you protect yourself. Similarly, Allah is telling us that these people, these muttaqin, they take precaution, right? Because there are unseen elements out there that are there to harm us. And I'll just, again, I don't want to get into conspiracy theory too much, but you guys have heard of like the all-seeing one eye, who, again, linked to Dajjal, right? Uh, the dollar bill and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, one of the reasons why this is so significant is because Fir'aun is the, the, like the symbol of evil power in the Qur'an, right? Fir'aun as a personality, yes? And of course, he, he ruled Egypt and he you know, was known for the pyramids, which till today are a symbol of power and stability of government, right? But even from the context of the system we live in, okay? The system we live in, that's another form of threat for us in terms of the way we think, in, the terms, in terms of the way we live our lives, right? So, remember Surah Al-Fatiha, there's two groups that Allah told us to be careful of, two groups that we don't want to be of. What are the two groups? Very good. Maghlubi alayhim al-dhalim. Another way to understand Maghlubi alayhim al-dhalim is the Maghlubi alayhim are people who are controlling this, you can call it the evil system out there that wants to corrupt the world, that wants to mislead humanity. Right? They are sitting at the top and then you have the blind majority, the dhalim, the people who are lost, the people who are just enslaved to the system. And so you have these evil elites, the maghdubi alayhim, controlling everything from politics to education to media to entertainment. You know, the healthcare, is, there's a lot of corruption in that. And the food industry, multinational companies are just about, they're just about money and profit. And you know, they don't care about benefit to humanity, most of them, right? Now the awareness is changing. Best, uh, you see how this model is so real and if you are not aware of this, then you are you're risking to be a victim of this. You're risking to be harmed by this in terms of your, the, way, your way, the way you think, in terms of the way you carry yourself, in, the, in terms of the way you live your life, right? Because you need to be aware of what's happening. Yes, there's a lot of conspiracy out there, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us clearly in the Quran that shaitan is your adu. Shaitan is your adu. So you should take him as your enemy, right? Don't have this like easy, easygoing uh, attitude towards shaitan. No. You have to be alert. You have to understand how shaitan works. You have to understand that there's people out there who are planning to, you know, make sure that you are blindly following this system. And so today, alhamdulillah, with YouTube and, you know, social media, awareness is changing. And people are waking up, right? And so that's really the element of freedom that the prophets also came uh, to teach. And that's what Islam came to teach. Islam came to teach, and the prophet's job was literally to get people out of blind following the system into freedom, right? That's what Islam does. It, it frees you from the shackles of a society. And at the same time, you don't go there, your attitude, unfortunately, some people, you know what they do is they hate the system so much, they want to bomb the system. Right? They, they become like 
enemies of the system. No, that's not what Islam wants us to do. Islam is all about Islah, right? Remember, the, the role of the Khalifa is what? The role of the Khalifa is Islah, right? So if this system wants to do ifsad, fasad, or corruption, then what's your role? Your role is Islah. Your role, okay, if, if politics is corrupt, get into politics and fix it up. If the education system is, you know, creating zombies and, and making our kids dumber and dumber, go there and fix it up. Start teaching in it. Start, start your own school or, or, I don't know, get into homeschooling or whatever. If the, you know, media industry is corrupt, don't say cinema is haram. Don't say music is haram. No. Come up with alternatives. Fix it up. If the health industry is, is you know, corrupt, go there and fix it. You know, become a doctor and fix it or, I don't know, get, get into alternative medicine or whatever, right? Food industry, same thing. And so, that is really the, the attitude of a muttaqi, is that he's aware of the, the threats. And, and is this seen or unseen, by the way, these threats? Not really, they're unseen. They're very subtle, by the way. This is what I was talking about, the jinnah, right? Unseen, subliminal messaging and subliminal programming, where subconsciously you just become part of the system if you are not awake. Okay? And so that's something I wanted to highlight in terms of ghayb again. And of course, we talked about energy last time also. Is energy something that you can see? No, right? But is it something that's um, a reality today? Yes? A proof of that is the lights that we see today, right? We don't know how the, the light bulb is switching or how the switch is turning the lights on, but we believe that when we press the button, the lights will switch on. Similarly, we, we learn about from like quantum physics and other new age discoveries today about like vibrations and positive energy and negative energy and law of attraction and different laws of the universe today, right? Which are technically laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're learning about this today. There, there are laws out there that we have to believe in, right? If we want to really succeed in this life. And, and a lot of those laws give you a sense of peace. They give you a sense of... Um, you know, surrendering to the laws because if laws are out there, you don't need to worry about you know resisting anything. Okay? So there's different laws out there that you can read about. Uh, you know, these laws, spiritual laws, laws of the universe. There's mashallah a lot of books written out there about that, and the Quran is filled with with that stuff, right? But it's from a energy perspective. And of course, we talked about energy healing last time, right? Remember, muttaqin are people who even protect themselves emotionally. They protect themselves from evil thoughts. They protect themselves from uh, negative energy around them, which can harm them. They protect themselves from hatta, you know, negative thoughts that they sometimes have, right? And you're constantly purifying yourself. And so these, this is all part of al-iman bil-ghayb. Because energy is, again, part of al-ghayb. Same thing with this concept of, of safety, right? In the unseen. You are... You have this element of trust that Allah is going to keep you safe. Right? He has angels that are there to protect you. He has a system there that's protecting you. Allah, one of his names, one of his beautiful names is Al-Hafiz. One of Allah's beautiful names is Al-Hafiz, the one who protects you. And so when you believe in Allah, you believe that he will protect you in ways that you can never imagine. Can we, can we imagine how many angels are around us throughout the day? Does, do we know that they are out there? Absolutely, inshallah, right? They are there to protect you. Allah has 
assigned specific angels just to protect you. Right? But you don't see it. But do we still believe it? Absolutely we do. And, and the more you believe it, the more you feel safe. The more you'll be at peace. The more you trust Allah's system. You trust that He is Al-Hafiz. Right? And of course, the six pillars of Iman, right? They're all talking about ghayb. So the first quality of the muttaqin, they have this uh, idea of belief in the unseen, which is again, belief in Allah, belief in the angels. What else? Books and? Prophets. What else? Al-Qiyamah and? Al-Akhirah and? Yeah, Al-Qadr, right? Destiny or Qadr or fate. And so, you know, all of these, can you see any of these, by the way? No, you can't see. You can't see any of these. And, and these are all pillars of your Iman. And so if one is knocked out, bye-bye to your Iman. Right? And so you see how is such a beautiful way to kind of summarize all the pillars in one statement. Those who believe in ghayb, i.e. all of these things. right? And so connecting Iman, which means not just belief, but belief that gives you a sense of peace. When you believe in Allah and you trust Him, then you get, get this sense of peace that Allah is with you all the time. Same thing with the angels. You believe that the angels are there to protect you. Believe that this, these books, especially the Qur'an today that we have in our hands, right? This is a book that's supposed to give you peace. Now every human being out there today is in search of this peace. They're in search of happiness and success and peace, inner peace, they call it, yes? Where do we get it from? This book. So that's why belief in this book is not just enough. It's not just enough to believe in this book that this is the book of uh, you know, Allah and this is the Quran. No, this belief has to translate into a, a real, genuine feeling of security that I feel safe when I read the Quran. It gives me a sense of security and peace. So you see how yu'minun is now um, making more sense. Same thing, belief in the prophets supposed to give you a sense of peace that Allah loves us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be guided that's why he sent us prophet after prophet after prophet how many prophets did Allah send all of humanity we've mentioned this number previously yeah over 120,000 prophets right have we seen any of them but do we believe this yeah right and about 25 of them are mentioned in the Quran by name okay so the number is not that important but what we do believe is that how does this concept give you peace? How does belief in the prophets give you peace? Practically speaking. Okay. And how is this supposed to make him feel good? Now the way I see it, if, very good, someone to relate to. And, now, yes, you follow what they do, you will be safe. Right? They are your guides, they are your teachers, they are your mentors, right? They are your examples, living examples. And you know, above everything else, just the fact that Allah sent prophets in itself gives me peace. That Allah really wants me to be guided, right? He hasn't just created me and left me alone with no guidance, with no manual to live by, right? So He sent me books, like uh, theoretical guidance as well as practical guidance. What more do we want? And same thing with Akhirah. Akhirah, yes, there's this element of fear in it, but it also should, should give you what? Iman bil Akhirah means 
your belief in Akhirah gives you a sense of peace. Right? Because it's going to be the day of judgment. It's going to be the day where you get rewarded. How, how many of you have thought of the day of judgment as the day of your graduation? How many of you were scared of your graduation day? One person? Okay. <laughs> scared of failure maybe. But for the most of us, we look forward to it, right? That's like something that you look forward to every day, walking down the aisle and the, you know, the music and the, all the noise and all that kind of stuff, right? That's part of like the the joy of graduation. And so think of the day of judgment also as a sense as a day of graduation. It's supposed to be a day of fear for the criminals. Right? But it's supposed to be a day of like you trust that if you follow guidance, you trust that Allah will inshallah reward you with, with, with good on that day and Allah will protect you on that day. He won't make you go through terror and pain and, and fear. Why would he? If you've been following guidance, if you've been following the prophets, you've been following his books, then why would he make you go through emotional torture on that day? Why would he? Right? But it's, very, it's not talked about, unfortunately. Right? What we usually hear is the, the pain and the punishment and all that kind of stuff. And so let's be fair to the Qur'an. And of course, qadr also, fate and destiny. It's supposed to give you a sense of peace supposed to give you a sense of comfort and security that I am safe, Allah has a plan for me. Right? And so I actually want to highlight Qadr a bit like in depth because it's an a important topic in terms of, uh, there's a lot of confusion out there, right? What is Qadr and does it change? Do we have free will? All that kind of stuff. So you guys know that in Surah Al-Kahf there is like a story that talks about Qadr. Anyone knows which, which, uh, which story it is? Yes? The seven sleepers, it's one of the stories, but which there's, a, there's another story that, that teaches us the lesson of Qadr. Yeah, very good. Khidr alayhi salam, right? Okay. And so, um, actually Khidr is not mentioned by name in the Quran, right? He's, he's, he's this mentioned as a wise man. And Wallahu um, alam, my, my views are that Khidr represents Qadr, actually. Right? So Khidr is the personification of Qadr. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to teach Musa alayhi salam what is Qadr by introducing him to a man who would take him to different stories, different experiences to teach him about Qadr. And so, yes? Uh, unknown. Yeah. Okay. Because he's not even mentioned by name. And Allah just basically told us that he is someone who Allah gave uh, rahmah. Very important quality. Atainahu rahmatan min indina wa min ladunna ilma. That's all we know about this man. What did Allah give him? Number one, rahmah, which is love, care, and mercy. So what are we learning? I'm giving you like some tips now. Qadr is full of what? Love, care, and mercy. Right? Qadr is all about love, care, and mercy. And what else did Allah give him? Ilm, right? Knowledge. Knowledge of things that we have limited perspective of. So there's three stories in that. I won't go, I won't go into too much detail, but one story is about Musa is with Khidr on a boat and he damages the boat. And Musa gets like uh, upset and how come you damage the boat? That's such a bad thing. He was judging that act as what? Good or bad? Bad, right? And of course, the, the condition between Khidr and Musa was that if you want to learn from me wisdom of life, then don't ask questions. And Musa said, fine, I won't ask questions. But every single time he would end up asking questions, he would end up making a judgment. And so he had 
one chance, which he blew, right? Musa couldn't hold himself. He accused Qadr of being bad, right? And then uh, Khadr literally tells him, uh uh, the deal was you're not supposed to ask questions. So anyway, they move on. And by the way, Musa promises Khadr that, okay, I won't ask again. Trust me, I won't ask again. Next, Khadr goes, or Qadr, kills a boy. A young boy gets killed. What does Musa do? Makes a judgment again. You did a terrible thing. Right? Again, he made judgment of what? Qadr. That Qadr did something bad. What does Khadr tell him? You messed up again. That's strike two. You're not supposed to ask questions. Just walk with me. Anyway, Musa says, sorry, 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 sorry. I won't do it again. They keep walking. And then there's a wall that's basically uh, broken that's about to fall off. And then Khidr, he uh, erects the wall and fixes it. And Musa, again, questions him and tells him that, why did you do this for free? You should have asked for some money as compensation. Especially since that city that they went into, they were really hungry. They didn't feed them anything, right? So he's like, why are, you, why are you doing them a favor without anything in return, right? At least you should have asked for some money. So anyway, after strike three, Khidr tells him, that's it. Hey, we're, we're splitting. That's before he leaves, Khidr tells him, let me tell you the wisdom of these three stories. Right? And again, why am I talking about this? Just to zoom out. We're talking about and Qadr is part of the ghayb. And Iman is supposed to give you a sense of what? Peace and security. Okay? So in the first example, what we learn is that this boat belonged to Masakin, poor people who uh, own the boat, right? And they go through a lot of pain, don't they? Yes, when the boat is harmed and damaged, they go through a lot of pain. But later Khidr tells us that they became very grateful for this damage because it saved their boat from being you know, confiscated by the, by the king. Because there was a king who was taking all the boats, but when he saw that this boat was no good, he, he left it. Okay, so it, it, it stayed with the Masakin. So, so there was some pain initially, but eventually they were grateful for that pain. Have you been through that in your life sometimes? Where you get some pain, you don't know why that happened, and you think that life is unfair, you think Allah is unfair, you think Qadr is unfair, and then six months down the road, one year down the road, five years down the road, you, make, you, you connect the dots and you realize, wow, thank you Allah for that pain, I really needed that. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be where I am today. How many of you experienced that before? Okay. So that's, see all of us, mashallah. So that's the first type of pain. That's lesson number one. That whenever pain happens to you, you trust that you will be grateful for it sometime in the future. But there's another type of pain. Now, in the story of the boy who gets killed, is there pain? Absolutely. There's a lot of pain, by the way. Uh, there's a difference between your boy... Um, you know, drowning in a pool versus getting murdered, right? Just put yourself in the shoes of the parents. Your boy, your young boy got murdered. And you don't even know why. And will you ever know why? Will you ever get the answers? No. Right, so what Khidr tells us, he tells us the behind the scenes story, which the parents don't even know. He tells us that this boy belonged to two righteous, uh, a righteous couple, right? A very righteous couple. And this boy was going to, you know, become, uh, at an older age, he was going to be a very tyrant and very 
evil person. So he's going to give a lot of trouble to the parents. He's going to give a lot of trouble to the society. And he's probably going to you know, earn his ticket to the hellfire, right? If he continues that evil. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew this. And therefore he willed, by the, qadr, by the qadr of Allah, he willed that this boy should die at a young age. And it's a win-win situation for everybody. How so? So number one, the young boy doesn't go to hellfire because he dies at a young age, right? Before the age of puberty, you can do whatever you want. Don't tell this to your kids, right? Because they'll go crazy. Right? But technically, yes, you don't get accounted for anything before puberty. Uh, what about the parents? Allah replaced this son with another uh, child for them that was righteous. So win situation for the parents. And what about the society? Did they also benefit? Yes, society also benefits. So win-win for everybody. But there was pain. There was a lot of pain. And by the way, did the parents know this story that we just talked about? No. So will they ever know why this happened? That's the second type of pain. Where pain happens to you and you just accept it without ever getting any answers. And usually when like, people in family die, like how many of you have like, a close person in your family die? Yes. Those are like, some of the most painful experiences of our lives, right? especially if someone really close. Uh, but what's the healing for us? It's this idea of accepting qadr. That, Ya Allah, I trust you. I believe. I believe in the unseen. I know that the qadr is filled with rahmah, and therefore I won't question it. Because, because questioning is part of resistance, right? What's the opposite of res resistance? Acceptance or surrender or Islam. That's what Islam means, right? Surrendering to be at peace. Not questioning, not resisting. How come this? How come that? Why me? It's not fair, right? That's the second type of pain. The third type of pain, Khidr tells us that this, the story of the wall is also an interesting story. Under the wall, there was a treasure that belonged to two orphans in the city uh, whose their father was a very righteous man and he left like a very uh, precious treasure for them but it was buried under the wall why because they were still young right and so you don't want to give a million dollars to young orphans right what are they going to do with the money they're going to blow it away right they're not going to manage it well or it's going to be stolen from them whatever right so they weren't responsible yet and so had, it, had the wall fell, the treasure would have been exposed, and who would have been harmed? The orphans, right? And so what did Qadr do? It prevented the harm this time, right? So there was, was there any pain for the orphans? No. Was pain going to happen? Who protected them from the pain? Qadr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was Qadr, protecting them from So that's a third type of... Uh, Qadr, where pain is about to come to you, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His Qadr removes it without you even realizing. SubhanAllah. And so that's those who feel at peace with everything that's unseen. And Qadr is one of those things that are like, that, that causes a lot of depression, a lot of uh, anxiety. Fear, right? Because you know people don't know how to deal with this uncertainty. Human beings in general don't like uncertainty. We feel uncomfortable with uncertainty, and so Allah is teaching us to this, to this beautiful uh, story, these beautiful stories that relax. 
qadar is filled with rahmah and your knowledge is limited, right? But Allah beautifully personified qadar through this character of khidr in the Quran to give us a glimpse of the unseen, right? To give us a glimpse of how qadar works like behind the scenes. But in reality, will we ever get a glimpse of the unseen? No, you won't, you won't get. You have limited uh, you know, perspectives. But Allah's name is Al-Alim. He knows everything. So the treasure was not uh, revealed, right? So yani assuming that the, tre- the wall is fixed again, the treasure was still safe. And hopefully, you know, when the kids get old, they get the treasure. But we don't know that, that part of the story. Uh, so what is the level of your iman? Have you heard this question before? Like, how do I know the level of my iman? And does iman increase, decrease? Is it the same? What do you think? Yeah, it changes. It fluctuates with, like, you know, your situation. Uh, and so I'll share with you, like, a very cool way of looking at how iman, iman levels help you, right? The higher your iman. And what do you mean by high level of iman, by the way? How do you measure Iman? Okay, very good. So I'll share with you a, a creative way of measuring that for yourself, okay? So imagine you have three cups. Uh, this is a, a, a short cup, like, a, you know, the size of a shot, yeah? And then um, espresso shot, by the way. Huh? Okay. And then a normal glass, and then you have a jug, right? So three levels of? Uh, or three sizes of jars. Now, if you took, so now, if you took one teaspoon of salt and you put it in a, in a sh- shot glass and you try to drink it, how will it, how is it going to taste? Very salty, right? Yes. If you took that same teaspoon of salt and put it in the normal glass, how would it taste? It'll be a bit mediumish, right? But then in the jug, is it going to make a difference? No. So think of your iman level, right? The iman in your heart, which is in your heart. Think of it as these different jars. And think of the salt as pain in your life. Think of salt as difficulties in your life, challenges in your life. And the higher your iman, the, the bigger your iman, the bigger your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the bigger you like or the closer you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more trust you have in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more easily you can deal with those situations. And the, the smaller your iman, or the weaker your iman, the more difficult the time will be. Does that make sense? Yes? And so, you know, just an interesting way of looking at iman. Another way of looking at uh, your dealings with shortcomings is your ability to bounce back, like right? this concept of resilience. You will face through challenges. Living on Surat al-Mustaqim and the path of Naim doesn't mean that you won't go through hardships and difficulties and ups and downs in life. No, even prophets went through ups and downs in, in the Quran. Yes or no? Yes. The seerah of the Prophet is filled with ups and downs. But what is the quality of a believer, a true mu'min? He bounces back up, and the more you're, and the higher your iman, the faster you can bounce back up. You guys get it? Some people it takes them years to bounce back. 
Some people, it takes them weeks. Some people, it takes them minutes to bounce back. And so people with higher Iman, they bounce back faster. Why? Because they have this trust that this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because Allah is with me, I can be at peace again, right? I can be at peace again. But then there's this other perspective in the Quran. Because, you know, sometimes we blame Qadr for things that are not like, not, have nothing to do with Qadr. These are simply difficulties in our life where we have messed up. Okay, so we need to also differentiate between. Uh, or, or like talk about this for a second here is that there are things in our life that are not going right not because of Qadr but because we have messed up okay and so I've, I've highlighted some uh, ayat here like one of them is this one right Al-Imran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says whenever a a tribulation or a trial inflicts you. You ask yourself, where has this come from? How come me? Where is this, you know? What caused this to happen? Allah answers it for you and says, it is because of your own doings. It is because of your own self. You have messed up somewhere. And so this is kind of, you know, how, you know the uh, concept of karma, right? So this is kind of like karma where you do something bad to someone, it's going to come back. You do wrong, it's going to come back. You eat junk food, you're going you're gonna to get sick. Okay? <laughs> yes. You don't study, you're going to fail. Don't blame Qadr, right? You don't uh, work efficiently at work, you're going to get fired. Okay, don't blame Qadr for getting fired then. So you see how this element sometimes is uh, missed in the discussion of Qadr, right? Yes, Qadr is, is uh, you know, part of the unseen, but there's an element of our life which is like really our responsibility. Sorry, yeah? It's something that you have to kind of um, reflect on. You know? Like for example, health, in the healthcare topic, right? Diabetes, uh, blood pressure, cancer. You know, studies have shown that 90, 95% of these diseases are because of our own, our zulm to our nafs, right? We have wronged ourselves with the kind of food that we eat and the lifestyle that we've chosen for ourselves. It's a choice that you've made, right? And uh, so don't blame Qadr for that, right? In fact, a lot of our problems today fit in this category, right? Very few things are outside of Qadr, right? If you, um, like how many, for example, bad, failed marriages, right? Do you blame Qadr for that? What do you think? How many people actually attend pre-marriage workshops and read books about marriage and what, what are the values of, you know, a husband and a wife and how to live a, a blissful marriage? How many people do that research before getting married or before choosing a spouse? Yeah, after, after 10, 20 years they do it and then they realize, yes, too late. But again, Allah gave us a solution from the beginning. He said, Iqra, read, right? Seek to live on the life of Naim. And there's plenty of lessons from the Quran on how to be a good husband and a good wife, right? There's plenty of parenting lessons in the Quran. 
But I'm not, I'm not saying just go to the Qur'an. I'm saying go and read from the research out there. Go and read books. Ask, attend workshops about parenting. And then don't complain about you know, your children getting on the wrong track or whatever, right? Yes, to some extent Allah guides the heart, but there is a way for you to minimize those chances, right? Business failures. Like, I don't know if this number is true, but I've heard that 85% of startups in Bahrain fail within the period of like two years. Is that true? Yes? Who do you blame for that? Do you blame Qadr for that? How many of these entrepreneurs have actually read books on business, read books on the mindset of business, they've studied marketing properly, they've asked entrepreneurs, successful businessmen on how to do this, how to do that. How many of them actually have done a proper business plan? Or do you just go with like a small two-page business plan to Temkin and get funded and you start a business? No, it doesn't go, it doesn't work that way, right? And so part of that is our responsibility. Now, huwa min andi anfusum. It is because of yourself. Look at this. Bima qaddamat aydikum. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهًا مصيبة, a problem. And musiba comes from saba yusibu, which means it's like this, literally like a, a missile, right? A missile from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's targeted to hit you. Asaba, يعني من الإصابة, it's, it's meant to come to you. Why? Because you have messed up. It's coming to hit you. It's not an accident, Right? And then, again, بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ Look at this ayah. مَا أَصَابَكَ مِنْ حَسَنَةٍ فَمِنَ اللَّهِ Whatever good happens to you is from Allah. وَمَا أَصَابَكَ مِنْ سَيِّئَةٍ فَمِنْ نَفْسِكَ Every sayyah that happens to you is from yourself. And then you have another بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ And they go on and on and on and on. And so, I thought it was fair to kind of add this so that we don't have like just... Uh, you know, one angle of qadr without this responsibility being missing, right? So this is another element of iman bil ghayb, is that, which you can maybe call karma, right? The law of karma, right? What you, what, what do they say? What you sow, you reap. What you reap, you, what you sow, you reap, yes? Okay. Um, so uh, that, that is a, one of the laws of the unseen. You don't know how it happens, but it happens. Okay, and that's when you do wrong to others mainly, right? A lot of this is to do with doing wrong to others. When you deal with others unjustly, when you take يعني, uh, the rights of others or you violate the rights of others, it comes back to you. Okay? Uh, another beautiful way to look at الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ is those who believe in Allah in secret. Bil ghaib could also mean those who believe in Allah when they are alone. Because is it easy to believe in Allah in public, to act like a believer in Allah in public, in front of everybody, right? When you go out, at work, your family. But let's say you're traveling abroad, you're in, alone in your hotel room, there's nobody there, it's 10 o'clock at night, the doors are closed, you've got Wi-Fi, you've got internet connection, you've got and you're in a country where nobody knows you. You can literally do whatever you want. And nobody will ever find out. Right? But those who truly believe in those moments are the true believers, right? Because many people, they become weak when they're alone. Yes or no? So that's another way of looking at this, is those who are believers, not just in public, but in private. Another way to look at this is, ghaib could also mean the future. 
Because the future is also unseen. Yes or no? So those who trust that the future is safe. Because a lot of us, we worry about the future. We are stressed about the future. Right? How am I, how am I going to get married? How am I going to get a raise? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to buy that house? So we have these question marks about the future. But those, the muttaqeen, Allah is saying, they are at peace with the future. future. The future doesn't worry them because Allah has, has taken care of everything. So you're content. You're at peace. So you see how iman, as a, as a definition, I hope it's like, um, we're like drilling it deep into your, into your minds and your hearts now, right? Iman is not just belief. It's not just knowledge, belief, and facts. No, it's a feeling, right? You have this element of peace that Allah is taking care, you know, taking care of this future for me, so I don't have to worry about anything. Like we said, the fear of the unknown. You got nothing to fear. Is some fear healthy? Yeah, some fear is healthy, but if fear becomes your default state, then there's a problem, right? So some fear is healthy, but you got to act in spite of fear. And so you trust that Allah's help will come. Allah is there to take care of you. Another beautiful quote, I love this, from Albert Einstein, where he says, the most important question a human being can ask is, is the universe friendly? And here, like he's saying universe, but we can understand it as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala friendly? Do many people, do most people believe that subconsciously? Or do some people believe that Allah is unfair? Or Allah is angry? Or Allah is my enemy? Depends on, yeah, yeah, or my, your mindset that has been programmed based on your experiences. Absolutely, right? I've met people who, who say that, you know, Allah is my enemy. Every time I try to do something right, he punishes me. But many people, they don't, they don't have that deep, genuine belief. So there's three types of perspectives on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the universe in this context, right? Some people who believe that Allah is um, indifferent to us, or the universe is indifferent, which means what? It doesn't make a difference in what we do. There's no connection between us and Allah. There's no, there's no friendship. There's no, he's not friendly, he's not my enemy, there's no connection, right? I'm doing my thing, the universe is doing its own thing. That's one perspective. The other perspective is the universe is there to harm me. This life is unfair. Life is a test. Life is a struggle. Life is supposed to be difficult, right? There are people, there are many people out there who believe that. Maybe you don't admit it verbally, but subconsciously people have that attitude towards life, right? And, and these people, they are going through the most difficult uh, times of their lives. Why? Because that negative thoughts, these negative thoughts are just basically attracting negative things in their lives without them knowing. And so the universe, is it friendly or not? Is Allah subhanahu friendly or not? Absolutely, right? So one of his names is Al-Wali. What does Al-Wali mean? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a combination of um, best friend that's uh, 
you know, He's taking care of all your needs. Al-Wali is your best friend that takes care of all your needs. You know, a summarized uh, definition would be your best friend. Because by default, your best friend will take care of you, yes? Otherwise, he's not your best friend. So Allah, literally, one of his beautiful names is your best friend. How amazing is that, yes? And so, if you lived your life with this, just this iman that Allah is my wali, that's the, then you become wali Allah. Right? Awliya Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, أَلَا إِنَّ أَوْلِيَاءَ اللَّهِ لَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ that people who have this mindset that Allah is my best friend, they have no fear upon them, nor will they ever be sad. Because they're just enjoying the present. They're not afraid of anything in the future. They're not sad about anything in the past. They're just enjoying the journey of life and flowing with, with the universe. Because they, are, they believe that Allah is their best friend. And so everything that happens to them is good for them. Right? This is called husn of dhan billah. Or like being... Uh, optimistic about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and having uh, you know, a positive mindset about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that happens to your life, right? How are you doing so far? Yes? Another really, really cool way to look at ghaib is the future, but from this context, right? So I don't want to get into too many details, but this is basically... Uh, taken from a book called um, The Slight Edge. If you guys like time management and that kind of stuff, read that book. It's one of the classics on time management. But anyway, what he talks about is that, you know, 5% or the minority in the world are successful and the majority are failures. First of all, is that a true statement? What do you think? That major, like regardless of what area of your life you're talking about, spiritually, relationships, finance, health, is it true that the minority will succeed and the majority will fail? What do you think? Yes or no? How many of you disagree? How many of you agree? Okay, and the rest? Undecided, confused. <laughs> okay. So again, from each of these examples, right? Spiritual relationships. Are most people spiritually successful? Are most people, in terms of relationships, living a beautiful marriage, having a beautiful parenting experience? Are most people financially successful? Are most people healthy? Are most people intellectually at, the, at their peak? No, so you guys just answer the question, right? And so actually the Quran confirms this concept, by the way. Whenever you look at the, the word majority or aktharuhum, Allah sp- speaks of them negatively. Negative, 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 negative. So if you go with the majority, guess what? Most probably you're going to fail. And qalilun min ibadi ashakur, Allah says. The minority. He always praises the minority. The exception is always the positive one, right? Exception. So anyway, I don't want to get into too many details, but what I want to talk about is ghayb, right? So what's the difference between the two mindsets? The minority and the majority, right? From a ghayb perspective. So the, the successful minority, they go through short-term pain, 
because they believe in what? Long-term pressure. So this is the future. This is the unseen. But the, what keeps these people on this path? It's because yu'minuna bil What about these guys? They don't care about the ghayb. They don't care about the future. They want to enjoy the now. They want pleasure now. So they follow what's known as fake pleasure. And they ignore the future pain that's coming. Why did I call it fake pleasure? Yeah. And it's, it's actually fake. It's not really pleasure. Like, for example, um, I don't know, someone who decides to go to the bar and have a you know, glass of liquor or something or drink or wine or whatever, right? Is it truly pleasure? It's not pleasure, so it's fake, right? It's just that experience and you're, maybe you've, the fact that you feel that you're free to do what you want, maybe that's giving you that false sense of pleasure, but it's not really pleasure. Smoking is not pleasure. Yes or no? Um, and, and, and it lasts very short term. The next day you have a you know, hangover or you, know, you get into trouble, all sorts of different, like, difficult things happen to you after this. But same thing with, I don't know, I mean, we can disagree about sweets and chocolate and stuff and ice cream, right? Because, again, our, the marketing industry has programmed us to believe that it is actually real pleasure, right? And that organic food and salads are, like, you know, boring. That's, it's all programming for nice, all mindset, yeah? For someone who has been through a proper detox, they will not be able to have a full chocolate cake. Yes, anyone anyone tried that before? I had here done detox or yes, you know what I'm talking about? Yes? So for those of you who become purified, you will not be able to have, you know, uh, a Baskin Robbins ice cream. You can't have the whole thing. Maybe you can have like one spoon, but you can't, right? Because it's fake pleasure, right? But you gotta go through the detox. So the people who go through the short-term pain, they stay in there. Why is there short-term pain here, by the way? Okay, but is Allah's path supposed to be painful? Because think of this as Salat al-Mustaqeem, right? Sabr ala shunu, you're right, but ala shunu. What is the element of pain really? So it's a, it's a, it's a basically, basically uh, the pain of usually social pressure, the pain of being the odd one out, the pain of being the one who orders salad where everybody else is ordering, you know, cheeseburger. Yeah. It's the pain of saving where everybody's spending. It's the pain of reading Quran where everybody's watching Game of Thrones. It's the pain of, you know, I don't know if working is. But you see, you see in the context of these things, it's the pain of getting into the habit of praying regularly versus the fake pleasure of, I don't know, checking your WhatsApp or whatever. So there are different choices that we make throughout our day, right? And these people, Allah, the Prophet said, told us that that little actions that are continuous will bear the fruits, right? It's better than 
big actions that are discontinuous. And so, what does Shushu do, by the way? What does Shaitan do? Shaitan hides these two, right? He hides the ghaib. That's his trick, by the way. Shaitan's game is to hide the pleasure here and, the, and to hide the pain here. And he wants you to be in the shahada only. Like he wants you to be in the instant generation, like, like literally Instagram, right? He wants you to be in the moment now, enjoy now. Instant satisfaction, instant gratification. He doesn't want you to think about the future. But what does Allah do in the Quran? And on the flip side, he also... Very good, exactly. So that's what all the, the stories of the Quran are about, right? The story of the prophets and the, the destruction of the nations and all the... Allah has already told us the consequences of choosing this path versus this path, right? And so the Quran reveals the ghayb to us, which shaitan wants to hide. And so if you are disconnected from the Quran, you're going to be disconnected from... The ghayb. And you're going to be, probably, because of the system we live in, you're going to be stuck in this social pressure here, right? In this, um, in this system of instant gratification, instant satisfaction. So you see how deep this concept of ghayb is? I mean, you know, I don't want to go on further, but I think you guys want to finish this point about salah and how it's connected? Okay. So, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ That was the first quality of uh, Al-Muttaqeen. So, how is it linked to يَقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ? Very good. Very good. So, because all of these things are so important, but they're in the unseen, what is the one thing that we will need to keep reminding us of the unseen? This Salah, right? So think of salah as like that regular reminders of the unseen. Because, you know, it's unseen. And so if you don't get reminded of it, you're most probably going to what? Forget it. Okay? That's why salah, aqim as-salata li-dhikri. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa alayhi salam, establish salah for my remembrance. That's one of the objectives of salah is to remember. Not just to remember Allah, as in remember Allah, but remember this ghayb, right? Remember these ideas. So we need to... Like all of these lessons, we need to remember them, right? And salah is the, is the means for us to remember that, you know, I need to be seeing the world with two eyes. Salah is supposed to help us protect ourselves from the negative energy. Salah is supposed to give us that sense of peace of the future, right? And so the one who is not praying regularly, is he getting those reminders? Is he going to get taqwa? Is he going to be protected? No, so you see how it's beautifully sequenced, right? So every time there's a list, all of these six points, they're logically sequenced. Everyone, every point is leading to the other. So, الصَّلَاةِ So it's not, wa here means and, right? الصَّلَاةِ means plus. For those who believe in the unseen, and they pray. الصَّلَاةِ Allah didn't just say they pray. He said what? Yuqimun. What's the difference between yuqimun as-salah and yusallun? Okay, iqamat as-salah is different than just praying. It's it's establishing salah. 
Yes? Okay, that's one way of looking at it. And iqama also is to straighten. Iqama from qama, to straighten your salah. It's as if your salah is crooked and Allah doesn't want you to pray in a crooked way, in a lazy way, in a robotic way. He wants you to pray it properly, like with quality. Iqama to salah, right? Properly praying it. So Allah here is highlighting the quality of your prayer. Making sure that it's achieving its objective. Now what has happened in our society today? Are people more interested about iqamat salah or about praying only? Are parents telling their children aqim salah or are they telling their children sal? And then we, we complain about oh my child doesn't pray or you know my son doesn't pray or my wife doesn't pray or my husband doesn't pray. Why? Because we are focusing on the action and not the objective itself. So I'm going to share with you, I think there are uh, 13 or no, 15 objectives of Salah. Okay? And I believe this should be like the approach to help people pray. Because I get this question all the time. How do I make my son pray? How do I make my daughter pray? How do I make my husband pray? How do... I don't pray. How do I start praying? Right? So these are some tips or some benefits of Salah that will hopefully attract you to Salah. And I believe this is the way it should be. So number one, it's a reminder. You want to be reminded of all the things we talked about, right? And so if you don't get reminded, guess what? You are going to most probably forget. And when you forget, who's going to get the better of you? Shaitan, right? You're going to get in trouble. So is reminder a benefit for us? Yes? There's a benefit in remembrance, right? And so that's why you're here every other week. Why? You want to get that reminder, right? Regularly. And, and so that's what the whole concept of khutbah of Jum'ah is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a reminder. Regular reminders. We need that. Okay? So praying regularly. And notice, I'm not getting into the details of how many times you need to pray and the number of rak'at and when you need to pray. I'm not getting into that because Allah is not getting into that. Right? So why should we get into that? Right? Let's follow Allah's curriculum. Those who pray properly. Yuqimun means they're constantly doing it, by the way. Okay? It's a fi'l. They're doing it regularly. Okay? And by the way, side note, Allah says about those who just pray regularly, not those who do iqamat salah, Allah says about them, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ The most terrible destruction, that's what wail means, the most terrible destruction is for those who pray regularly. Because they are unaware of why they're praying. It's a pretty shocking statement, yes? Surah Al-Ma'un. So Allah is not highlighting praying regularly. He's saying, no, no, no. Iqamat al-salah regularly, right? Establish your prayer regularly so you can benefit from the, fruit, uh, the fruits. Recharge. We all need a recharge throughout the day, don't we? Yes or no? When you wake up in the morning, do you need a, like a boost to start off your day? Yes, usually most people start off their day with... Coffee, yes? So salah is supposed to be the ultimate booster in terms of energy, in terms of even like at the end of the day. Do you need like a, a de-stress after a stressful day? Salah is supposed to be that de-stressing, right? It's that uh, regular charging and, and making sure that you are connected all the time. Just like your phone needs to be charged, charged regularly, yes or no? Think of your ruh as this 
connection between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that needs to be charged regularly. And you know, the, the more iqama you do, the more charge you're getting. If you're just praying without iqama, it's like putting the charge, charge in your phone, but forgetting to switch the button on. Has anyone done that before? Like overnight with your phone? Yes? You wake up and you're upset because the phone didn't get charged. That's exactly the example of someone who prays without doing iqama. So it's a recharge, not just in terms of stress, even in terms of energy. Throughout the day, you know, the time comes, I need to leave my work, I need to get some energy, I need to connect. And subhanAllah, the ruh itself needs this, right? So if you're not giving it that, guess what? It's going to affect you emotionally, it's going to affect you uh, psychologically, and you're, you're going to be drained out by the end of the day, right? So instead of taking coffee shots and caffeine shots throughout the day, take salah shots, right? And keep yourself charged. Protection. Notice these are all benefits for who? Yourself, right? Protection. Does anyone not want to be protected? Does anyone want to be harmed in their life? No, right? So salah is a means for protection, right? It's supposed to protect you when you connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And purification, it purifies you. We all, of course, we're not angels, so we have mistakes, we have shortcomings throughout the day. And so salah is like your regular purification, purification of the heart, purification of the mind, purification of your purpose in life, okay? Even literally physical purification, you're doing your wudu, you're purifying yourself from all aspects. And then therapy, for those of us who go through emotional trauma and problems and you know, disputes and drama in life, salah is that time when you get to talk to someone. Who, are you, who do you get to talk to? Your creator, right? Which is the ultimate therapy, by the way. Because that's what therapists do, by the way. What do therapists do? What's the job of a therapist? Is to buy a nice, comfortable sofa and get the client to relax, recline, and just vent, right? They just listen. And so salah is that ultimate therapy where you get to talk to Allah. You get to vent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your sujood. You get to talk to Him. You get to complain to Him. You know? And then healing also from a perspective of um, purification of your energy, right? Salah is healing for you. Salah, when you're reading Quran, Quran is shifa. Right? And so salah and Quran are a combination of, of the same thing, right? You recite Quran and salah and therefore salah becomes healing. Uh, especially like if you for the males who pray in the masjid, right? And, and hopefully the imam has a beautiful voice. Yes? That is shifa. Sound therapy. Remember we talked about it last time? Really get shifa. And even for the ladies, like in, um, in Ramadan when like you go for qiyam and like you listen to the beautiful recitations, don't you feel like revitalized and rejuvenated? Yes? That's healing. All the like, evil and, and the bad energy is gone. All the negative energy is gone. Guidance. Through salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is reminding us to seek guidance from Him. Who doesn't want to be guided? Right? We all need guidance. We all need... And what does guidance mean, by the way? Practically speaking. Show us the way. Show us which decisions to make. Decision making is one of the biggest conflicts we have as people, right? What to choose. Where to go. 
Do I say yes or no? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Hadi guides you through salah. You're seeking guidance through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's constantly going back to him and asking him to guide you. Asking him to show you the way. Asking him to make your life easy. Gratitude also. Salah is teaching you to be grateful for all the blessings you have. And gratitude is one of the most positive energies you can have. right? And you start salah, in fact, with gratitude. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. So you're starting your day with being grateful. And you know, there's a lot of you know, books written about the importance of gratitude and how when you are, like, for example, gratitude journals, writing down five things you're grateful for before sleeping. Very, very useful things. But Allah has given us salah as like a regular gratitude exercise where gratitude is not just a list of things you write down. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for food. I'm grateful for my house. No. What is gratitude about? The feeling. Very good. So it's about feeling. Feeling that you know, sense of gratitude. Gratitude is a feeling. It's not just a list of things that you're grateful for. No. So salah is supposed to make you feel grateful. And we have, like, wallahi, all of us, we all have food in our homes, yes, on the plates. Can I see hands up for those of you who have food in your fridges? You have homes that you live in? Yes, hands up if you have a home to live in. Hands up if you have uh, safety in your neighborhood. Yes. So you have everything that the world has to offer according to the Prophet Whoever has these three, you're living like a king, basically. Because right? there are many more unfortunate people out there who don't have food, or they don't have safety, or they don't have a home. You have all three combined, right? Uh, again, mindfulness. What is mindfulness? It's being aware that you are not your mind, being able to be aware that your thoughts are not who you are. And unfortunately, people who you know, don't pray with iqama, they don't get this point. Salah is supposed to help you disconnect from your thoughts and to become more present and to realize that you are this ruh. You are not your thoughts. These thoughts are just there to distract you, right? So it makes you reconnect with your heart, makes you reconnect with your ruh, not with the thoughts. So Salah is supposed to still your mind. And then Salah is an experience. It's an experience of peace, right? The Prophet ﷺ would tell his mu'adhin, Ya Bilal, aqim salah arahna biha. Give us comfort with salah. So salah is supposed to be a, an experience of comfort. Raha. Right? Notice, so far, are there benefits for anybody else but you? All benefits for you. Yes or no? Yes? And all, are, are they all important benefits? Yes, absolutely. So we've got a couple of more to go, inshallah, we're done. Salah also teaches us to surrender. Especially the sujood part, right? The ultimate surrendering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, Ya Allah, I trust your plan, I trust the future, I don't resist, I accept, and I surrender to you because you are basically in charge of everything. And when I have you, I have everything. And when I don't have you, I have nothing. You surrender. And by the way, even ruku' is surrender, by the way. Ruku' you're surrendering. And then sujood you're surrender, surrendering also. Ruku' you're surrendering your heart. Sujood you're surrendering your mind. Hmm? Yeah. And uh, forgiveness. 
very, very important part of salah is to be able to forgive yourself, number one, to be able to forgive others, and to be able to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Three-dimensional forgiveness in salah. Is forgiveness an important thing that we all need to do? Yes, because forgiveness is like, if you, have, if you don't have forgiveness, then you have this burden in your heart, right? That you're probably not going to be able to sleep. There's, you know, emotionally, you're not, you're not healthy. And so you let it go throughout salah. You're purifying your, your heart from this anger and this hatred and this guilt and all of these negative emotions that salah is supposed to purify. And how do we get this from? Just from the beginning of Salah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, reminding you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and His love and His care. If Allah is ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, then therefore I am also ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I am also willing to love. I am willing to care. I am willing to forgive. Humility also, very important part of Salah. Getting rid of that ego, getting rid of pride and arrogance giving you that humility check regularly throughout the day. Yes, where you stop defining yourself as better than others. I am better than her. I am better than him. We are better than them. Okay, very common disease today out there. Yes or no? Yeah? And of course, dua. We all have wishes. We all have needs. We all have things that we want. Yes or no? And so salah is your opportunity to ask for whatever you want. Salah is your opportunity to request from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatever you want. Ask and it is given. Ud'uni astajib lakum, Allah says. Right? So salah is dua actually. The core of salah is dua. And then of course, you know, last point is this concept of meditation, which is very common today. Uh, people talk about it all the time as an alternative to salah. Right? But what I, um, you know, my views on this is that Salah is the ultimate form of meditation if you, if you actually do iqama of salah. Right? But we haven't been taught how to do that. So unfortunately, you have to learn how to do meditation and then you know, basically embed it in your salah. Right? A very simple way of understanding the difference between salah or prayer and meditation is prayer is you talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and meditation is you being silent and receiving the answers from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So salah is you talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and med- the meditation part of it is Allah talking to you. Right? But in order for you to listen to Allah talking to you, what do you have to do? Be silent. And that's what meditation is about. Meditation is about being silent, being calm, being still. Right? It's called stillness. And so... Why do most of us not get answers? Because we're too busy talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? We need to talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, there's a time for that, but there should be also a time for being silent and receiving. And that's what's called uh, intuition or ilham, right? When Allah talks back to you through guidance, He, he guides you, He teaches you. And so that's, what medit- that's why meditation is so important to embed in salah. Right? So inshallah, one day make dua, we'll do like a salah workshop in depth where I can teach you all these techniques, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. 
So benefits of salah, I think uh, enough for today, yes? Uh, but you see the, the approach? Yes? Did we talk about if, you're not a, if you don't pray, you're a kafir? Did we talk about beat your kids when they're 10 so they pray? Did we talk about, you know, uh, how many rak'ahs you should pray and, you know, that if you don't wake up for fajr, then you're a munafiq. And if you miss a salah, then you are, uh, you know, your iman is shaky. Did we talk about any of this stuff? No, it's unnecessary. When you beautify salah, then you will want to pray, right? It's supposed, it's something that you will want to do by yourself, right? And that is the, the genuine iqamat as-salah. وَيُقِيمُونَ salah And if you don't pray, you feel like you've missed out, right? You don't blame yourself, but you just missed out on a window of opportunity. You, you don't wake up for fajr, you missed out on the opportunity. But it's okay, you can make it up. No big deal. You can't pray five times a day, it's okay, start with whatever you can. Step by step. It's okay. Gradually. Right? But the you know the beauty of salah, unfortunately, is, is not talked about. It's we're just focused on actions. If I should pray like this or like this or like this, how should my back be? How should my foot be? And you see these posters in the masjids. Ten things that if you do your salah is not counted. Right? If your eyes wander around, you're not, it's not, you know, salah is not counted. Or if your eyes are closed, your salah is not counted. Or if you, if, you're wudu, if you do wudu but the water doesn't touch your elbow, then your salah is not counted. Or if you're wearing nail polish, salah is not counted. All sorts of details, you're missing out on the, on the real juice, right? You guys agree? I know I'm, I'm talking about things that are controversial, right? But... Again, Allah and the Qur'an is the authority here, right? And so we need to give the Qur'an its place. With all the respect to all the scholars and everything, but Salaha, that approach hasn't been working. If something, you know, Einstein said something, he said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. So if we keep teaching the scary way of Forcing our kids to pray, you're going to get the same results. More and more kids are going to be leaving salah. Salah is going to become more and more boring. Messages are going to be more and more empty. And say bye-bye to salah. Right? Everyone's going to start doing yoga and all that kind of stuff because they want to de-stress. Right? But what we need to do is bring people back to this beautiful balance between you know, spirituality and, and connection with Allah that really is like a beautiful experience. You know, that all of us like, should have that willingness to learn and to seek, inshallah. So I thank you for your time. Jazakumullah khair. And sorry for uh, keeping it late. Any questions before we leave? Yes, please. Yeah. Well, um, I can give you tips, but I need an hour. <laughs> Honestly, there's no shortcut answer, right? But it's a combination of like a lot of things, you know. And um, have you have you read about how how to be able to like? Have you read about mindfulness? Have you have you heard? Okay, so read about mindfulness. Read about meditation. 
There are apps today. There's an app called Headspace. You guys heard about this app? So download that. It teaches you how to shut off your mind or like, you know, basically control your thoughts and still your mind. That's, that's a very important part of stopping the chatter, right? Being able to separate yourself from your thoughts, which is what mindfulness is about. So read about this stuff, right? You won't find it in Islamic literature, unfortunately. So you have to go to Western literature, but study the science of controlling the thoughts. And, yeah. Yes, the meanings. Absolutely. The meanings of the salam. Yes. Yeah. Slowing down. Uh, and sometimes that could mean choosing to pray at home. Right? Uh, because you can't slow down technically, right? Uh, in public. Um, for some of you, closing your eyes might help, right? Depends, Yanni, again. Exactly. Mix it up, exactly. Like mix it up because routine becomes boring, yes? So mix it up. If, you, if you're used to praying like this, change. Pray like this. Right? Or, uh, and you know, another thing is Allahu Akbar. Right? This, this, this statement. Notice how many times you say it throughout Salah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. What it really means is Allah is greater than. But there's a blank, right? So it's greater than any thought that you have at that moment. And why do we need to constantly say it? It's like that reset button. Between every motion, you're reminding yourself, ah, yes, cooking's on my mind, but Allah's Akbar now. Yes, I have homework, but Allah's Akbar. Yes, I need to watch that match, but Allah Akbar now. Yeah, at this moment, what's more important? Allah is greater than everything else. He's greater than my problems. He's greater than my job. He's great, greater than the TV show. He's greater than my kids. Right? And sometimes kids test you, right? You're praying and your child will come and just stare right at you in front of you. In your eyes, right? <laughs> That's it's beautiful, wallahi. And, yeah, yeah. and again, take it easy on yourself, you know? Like it's, it's really uh, like a muscle. Salah is like a muscle that with practice, you know, the more you work on it, the more time you give it, the more you read about, read about this stuff, guys, yani, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Be in the now. Be present in the now. Um... Another book uh, that's great for this is uh, The Power of Now. Very good book about like learning to be present. Because your mind is either taking you to the future or the past. Now is where there is gratitude. Now where there is you know, realization that you are in front of Allah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, some, like there's a story of a Sahabi that you know, he, was, he was given the task of 
guarding the army of the believers. Like, listen to this, right? So the two Sahabi, right? Their, their task is to guard the camps of the Muslims. And why are there two? Because if one falls asleep, the other takes his turn, right? So they're rotating. And so one Sahabi is sleeping and the other, he's guarding, but there's nothing to do, so he's praying. Now as he's praying, the other Sahabi is sleeping. The, sahabi, the sleeping Sahabi wakes up and he sees an arrow from the enemies being shot and, and piercing through the calf muscle of that Sahabi who's praying. And that Sahabi is still praying. He's like unaware of that arrow like piercing through his leg. And, so the, and it's bleeding, of course, right? And so the Sahabi then interrupts this guy and says, what are you doing? Look at your leg. And that Sahabi swears that he didn't even feel it while he was praying. That's how present he was in that salah that for him, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was nothing. Again, these are very high levels. I'm not expecting you to pray like that tonight, Yanni. Right? <laughs> but, uh, and I don't, I don't like to talk about these stories too much because, Allahu alam, maybe a lot of it is also a bit exaggerated, right? And it sometimes makes us feel bad about ourselves. So, you know, just delete that from your memory, that story, yeah? Because it's going to make you feel bad. But, um, yeah, take it easy on yourself gradually. And Allah will, ask Allah to give you khushur before you start, inshallah. Right? Before you start, ask Allah, Ya Allah, I'm praying for you. I want, I want to experience iqamat as-salah tonight. You think Allah will help you? Of course He will, right? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. And inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Wa yaakum Allah is